Hey there, Freedom Fighters, coming at you from a beautiful new home in Austin, Texas. Clayt, last time you and I talked, I was in San Francisco, where I was for a decade. I'm now here in Austin, Texas, where look at how beautiful this is over my shoulder. I should be in my office. I can't help awesome. it. I have to be out here. Good for you, Andrew. Right? I heard your co-founder, Scott Martineau, and, and I should introduce you first. Clayt Mask is the second time... Well, he's an entrepreneur who's here the second time. He is the founder of a company formerly known as Infusionsoft, currently known as Keep. They're the company that revolutionized, in my mind, email marketing by saying, you know what? You don't have to have one list where everyone gets the same thing. We're going to have a list with tags, and then you could decide what happens to people based on tags. If they bought, tag them as customers so they don't get an email telling them that there's a discount on the purchase, which is an awful thing to send to someone. Anyway, he did that. Changed the name from Infusionsoft to Keep. I want to find out about it because, frankly, I'm a little confused about it. And most recently, he created a co-authored a book called Conquer the Chaos, How to Grow a Successful Small Business Without Going Crazy. I'm here to talk to him about the growth stage. Last time, we talked about how he started the company. I feel like, as a customer of his, it has been a little confusing for me. And I, I don't understand what's going on internally at the company as they've grown. And I also am curious, like, what's working, what's not? How do you go from a, a small business to what I feel is a huge company right now without going crazy yourself? And how do you get to that level? We could do it all thanks to two sponsors. I'll just rush through this and say, first sponsor, if you're hiring developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. The second, I want you to consider investing in art. Later on, I'll tell you about Masterworks. But first, Clay, here's what I was getting at. Your co-founder, Scott Martineau, also moved from the city to the country. What's his experience like? <laughs> yeah, he's loving it too. He's just like you. I think uh, COVID helped him see that he could mm -hmm. work. He could be uh, anywhere and, and be a, a major contributor to keep. And so that's what he does. I just, In fact, I just got off a call with him a few minutes ago looking at some cool new stuff that we're about to introduce to customers. So... He's doing his thing and having a blast, but uh, is you know seven or eight hundred miles away. So, I've got acres here. The other day, we had horses and ponies here for my kid's birthday party. We got a uh, anyway. It's it's been pretty awesome. awesome. Have you gone remote now because of COVID? Yeah, the company is mostly remote. Um, what we do is on Wednesdays we come in so that we can connect, collaborate, have a you know a little bit better experience, but not. Not everybody is is here local, so you know obviously people who live out of state are not coming into the office on Wednesdays. But but generally um, we connect on Wednesdays, and then everybody's virtual. Almost everybody is remote uh, the other days of the week. What's your revenue right now? Yeah, we're about a hundred million. Hundred million profitable. Mm -hmm. Yep, we are. And you took on some private equity. Um, I'm assuming you sold some part of your stake in the business so that you have a little bit of money taken off the table. Am I right about that? Yeah, we did that each time we raised capital along the way. That was several years ago, though, was the last time we raised capital. And now we operate profitably. So as a customer, I'm a little confused. I want to know how you got to this stage, how you went from small business to large business. But I'm confused. Is a company called Officially Keep and Infusionsoft is a software I have? What's the deal? What's going on there? Yeah. Um, the short answer is the company is Keep and the product you have is our Max product uh, that was formerly called Infusionsoft. So there, we, we used to be called Infusionsoft. I'll explain to you that, that it's a little, I know it is a little confusing. And for a lot of people, it's like, wait, well, I, I thought it was Infusionsoft. It's, it's Keep. You're, you have Keep and you have the Max version of it. So let me explain. Um, 
We grew the business uh, to about $7 million before we took on outside capital. And then we had a vision to grow and be the leaders in, in marketing automation for small business. And we knew that we needed capital to do that. So we raised capital. Um, by the way, that distinction is important because a lot of people think that we raised capital from the very beginning. We didn't. We did just like our customers do. We operated a profitable bootstrapped business. But when we realized that we needed to grow faster in order to achieve our goals and and uh, the way it is in technology, you've got to move. You got to move quickly. So we raised capital and we grew the business. And then we got to a point where we recognized Infusionsoft is was indeed the leaders in marketing automation, but it was a little bit more sophisticated than many small businesses needed. And we could see that. And we got asked over and over and over, can you just come out with a light version of your software? We need a light version. You know, mm -hmm. isn't there an Infusionsoft light? And we, we, we started to work on that a few years ago, and it was really challenging. Um, and it was challenging to have our flagship product of Infusionsoft and trying to create a light product. So I brought in some people who had great experience building easy-to-use software for small businesses. But unfortunately, their views of what a light version should be uh, were very different than mine and my co-founders' views. And the investors that we had brought on board uh, believed that those, those outside folks we had brought in were probably right, and we as co-founders were probably not right. And so hmm. we went through a period where for about three years, the flagship product of Infusionsoft that you know and, and have used was really not being focused on. Instead, this light version was being focused on, but it was being focused on in a way that really was not aligned with what we do to help our customers grow by automating their follow-up. And so we went through a really tough three-year period there. And, and then uh, a couple years ago, I got the reins back just before COVID hit. And and uh, then we worked our way through COVID, and we've started to we started to make progress. And what we did is we took that light version, which I'm very grateful to those outside leaders for because they helped us create an easy, mobile-first way for our customers to do their CRM. And we brought the marketing automation into it. So what they did is they they created a simple CRM. We knew and know that the secret sauce is not just the simple CRM. The secret sauce is the automated follow-up, and that's what grows small businesses. So we've spent the last year plus creating what needed to be as a light version of Infusionsoft. Now, the, so the name... What Wait, happened I, was before we get into the name, I'm still yeah. confused. So I'm hearing you say your customers were confused by how powerful Infusionsoft was and how many features. And I, I totally get that. I have found that it's that it's complicated. And in past interviews, guests have said it's called Confusionsoft. I get it. Yeah, it has the features, yeah. but it also has a lot of them. So you said yeah. we're going to go simpler. You brought people in. They had an idea for what to do. You disagreed. Your investors thought they were right. You then finally decided, you know what? Maybe they are right. Let's launch it. Is that what you launched and is now called Keep? And the higher level of it is what I have. And then there's Infusionsoft that has, I still don't understand actually, to be honest with you. Yeah, let me, I'll finish and I hope you'll understand afterward. Okay. What they created was a very simple CRM and we called it Keep. Mm -hmm. What 
Infusionsoft was, was very powerful sales and marketing automation. The two were very separate under that prior leadership team. When I got the reins back, I said, okay, we're going to take that simple CRM that's got a beautiful modern experience with mobile first, but we're going to put the, the secret sauce of Infusionsoft into that simple experience in a, in a light way. In other okay. words, we're going to make keep Infusionsoft light. Maybe that helps you kind of put it together a little better. So why did, why did the company get called Keep? Well, we knew that most people would start with our product on the light version, and then they would grow up to the powerful, the, the powerful Infusionsoft version. I see. So if most people start on the light version, it made sense to give that a light name. Infusionsoft was a very powerful tool that is different than what we created with the simple solution. And as you said, it's confusing. Infusionsoft is very confusing to people who need the simple solution. And so we own that. We, we created a product that was for more sophisticated marketers called Infusionsoft. And yeah, you're going to call it Confusionsoft if you need a simple light version. So we created a light version. Um, initially, it was not the light version that the market was asking for. It was simple CRM. But now it is the light version of sales and marketing automation. And so what we have today is we have our Keep product. And we have a pro, a pro version. And then we have a, um, our Max edition, which is formerly known as Infusionsoft. But we call the company Keep because the spirit of Infusionsoft and the spirit of what we do has always been about the about entrepreneurs and helping them to keep going, keep serving, keep growing. You've heard me share the story of, of uh, that that keep going story, and that's why we call the company Keep. Would you share that story again? I f I find it's like fundamental to my understanding of how you got here. The one you're yeah. talking about, the one with you and your wife at home. Yep. Yeah. So we love empowering entrepreneurs. That's the purpose. Um, and let me, let me clean up that last part just so you're perfectly clear. The former leadership that, ca that caused a very different type of strategy, that's gone. I'm back at the helm now. I have the, the control of the company to create the sales and marketing automation software that entrepreneurs need. And that's what we've been doing. And, and I'll share with you after we tell the story, I'll talk about some of the things that we're doing that, that made us the pioneer in the industry and are, again, are, are enabling us to lead by delivering the automation that, that entrepreneurs need. So the spirit of entrepreneurship is what drives this company. We had a little three-year detour there. It was pretty tough, to be totally blunt, but that's a conversation for another day. And that spirit of entrepreneurship is what we love to empower and ignite. And the reason we love it so much is we've lived it. We understand it. It's where we it's how we were born. We didn't go raise a bunch of venture capital from the beginning. Our days were very challenging. Um, the first three years of the business were a, were a total struggle. And my partners and I at times during that period of time wanted to quit, wanted to be done, but we had personal guarantees and couldn't. And we were very overwhelmed by the struggles of trying to make the business work. Um, the turning point for me personally was when we started to use our product to automate the follow-up with our prospects and customers. And there's a whole story about that. But, but I had gotten to a point about a year and a half to uh, about, it was about 18 to 20 months into the business 
when we started to use the automation that we had created, a very early version of what we have today. But we started to use that and I saw the magic of following up automatically with prospects and converting them. And so I became very convicted and convinced that this was going to be successful. But unfortunately, a year and a half of, of struggling like crazy to keep the lights on in the business had caused credit card debt to rack up. It had caused a, a lot of business debt. And so as our business started to have some success, it wasn't yet translating into take-home pay and success um, financially for my family. So the scenario was we were about two years into the business, uh, maybe a little longer than two years. Um, you've got to understand the context. I had four, four kids, Sharice and I had four kids at the time. I had been to college for eight years. Uh, we had a mountain of student debt and uh, we were taking home uh, just a couple thousand dollars a month when when things were good and sure and we were really living off credit cards and we'd gotten to a point where there was really nothing left we couldn't get more credit our credit was shot because of all the business debt you know you know how it goes and yet i knew that what we had on our hands in in terms of the, our, our product that it was it was game changing and i was seeing the benefits and i would tell sharice all the time she would she would say hey, this is not working. You've got to do something different. And I would say, hon, it is getting better. I'm telling you, it's getting better. We're, you know, we're making sales. Our customers are using the software and you're growing. I, I, I can see it. And Meanwhile, though, she was time. not able to get food, right? From what I remember, exactly. you had to look outside your fam- outside your immediate family to get food. What was it? Her family was bringing food in my, for you? My, so you my could- parents would do a Costco run and bring things to us sometimes. And yeah, it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I truly was delusional. Most most entrepreneurs um, have a certain a stage and certain times where they 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 have to block out the reality in order to create what they're doing because any sane person would say you're crazy you can't do that and so you you actually do get a little delusional and every every creator has times where they have to do that and it's very hard to live with that person during those times especially if that person is. The breadwinner and their four kids and, and so my wife had every reason to say this is not working you have to go get a real job and and she'd been saying that for several months and i had been able to convince her each time that hey, the business is getting better just hang in there hang in there well she finally one night you know we were we had a very intense conversation there were tears on both sides um and i because i knew it was going to work and yet I couldn't help her see it, and truthfully, she had no reason to see it. And so I just said, she said, you have to promise me you will go look for a job tomorrow. When you go to the office, look for a job. And I had I had recognized that this was not going to end any other way, and I said, okay, I'll look for a job when I go tomorrow. Well, the next day I got to the office, and as happens to all of us as entrepreneurs, the work envelops us. I was, you know, I got into my thing, and before I knew it, it was six o'clock and time to go home. And I, I got in my car and I, I kind of was panic struck. I was like, oh, shoot, I have not done what I said I would do in looking for a job. And I felt bad about that. And I was worried about what Sharice would say. And I, the whole 20 minute drive home, I was just like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I, and I was worried. I was worried about because it was so intense and so hard at home and had been for a long time. We were about two and a half years into the business at this point. And so I walked into the house that day 
And I walked into the room where she was and she turned around and she said, did you look for a job today? And I shook, I shook my head and I said, no. And I kind of braced for what was coming. And she walked over to me and she just gave me a huge hug. And she held on to me really tight. And, and then for a long time, and I tried to let go a couple of times and she held on. And then I realized she was shaking, she was crying. And I was like, not knowing what was going on. You know, I, I was, I was worried. I had all these emotions, but I, but at some point I realized that she actually wanted to be hugged. And so I was, I was holding on to her. And then, um, I, I started crying and I said, you know, she, she let go. And I said, what, you know, what, what's ha what, what's going on? And she said, um, just keep going. Everything's going to be okay. God knows what's happening. Just keep going. And, I, I was like, <laughs> who are you? What have you done with my wife? You know? <laughs> I was like, what, what happened? And, and she said, I just, I just know everything's going to be okay. And, and I, you know, I, I'm so grateful for her faith and her commitment. Cause in that moment, like I, I felt a surge of energy I've never felt in my life. I felt it's, it's hard to describe unless you've been an entrepreneur at odds with your spouse over the business where you're pulling apart from each other. And I knew that was happening. I could feel it. She could feel it. Neither of us was, was really, you know, calling it out, you know, with extreme clarity, but we both knew what was happening. And so for her to say that and just say, keep going, it meant everything. And so when it came time to change the name of the company, I was not sure we should, but I agreed that there was a difference in product and a different in a difference in approach. And I also agreed that most customers would get this simplified product. And I agreed that it needed to stand for something simpler and easier. And you know, Infusionsoft didn't under, didn't uh, fit that, and certainly Confusionsoft didn't fit that. And so I was like, no, let's 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 name it something simple. And let's be let's speak to the spirit of entrepreneurship, which is to keep going. The perseverance, the grit, the tenacity. I've experienced it. Every successful entrepreneur has experienced it. Every struggling entrepreneur needs it. And that's what we stand for. The way that you got from zero to profitability was using your own software, following up with people in a systemized way, which is what Infusionsoft was all about. And yep. being almost like your best, the best version of the customers you wanted and the best experience yep. you wanted for them. What I'm curious is, how do you go from once you get that to where you are today? I'm curious yeah. about like, it seems like what Infusionsoft did well was create software, hire a sales team, which your competitors didn't have. There wasn't someone to talk to. You also, we talked last time, you had an upfront payment so that that way you could fund the, not just the sales team, but what wasn't known very well at the time was the success, the customer success portion of your, of your team, right? Yeah. Someone who's going to get on a phone and make sure that the software is used well. What yep. was the next step? What, where, where do you hit a limit when you hit that when you with that system and then what's the next step that you took to grow let's start with the limit how do you know that you've hit a limit with where you were yeah we started to hit a limit um when we got to right around 20 million um you know we had about oh probably 150 employees at the time mm -hmm. and we started to kind of hit a ceiling where our systems were you know we were 
we were struggling with our systems. We were struggling with some of the process, the, the, the people. What does you know, that mean? Can you give good... me a specific example? I've heard a lot that at certain milestones, things just break. It's almost like you're creating a whole new company. But what does it mean that yeah. things break? Couldn't customers still get the service that they want because you have people, because the software works? Can you give me an example of something that breaks that will help me understand what you mean? Yeah, sometimes it's just, um, you know, it can be as simple as your your phone system or your billing system or, you know, your, your the, the number of transactions you have start to bog down and the time it takes to do each thing worked when you had a certain number of customers or a certain number of employees. But now there's more things you have to do and it takes longer. And if you don't have the right systems to do that, then you... You you spend so much time manually doing that that you 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 can't keep up with it. So let me let me translate it to something that people can probably understand better. If if you don't have a CRM system or a, a an email marketing system to have one off conversations with each customer and to track those conversations, um, you can do that if you've got eight, 10, 20 customers, maybe. You can keep that, keep track of that in Google Sheets. You can keep track Meaning, of it in your phone. Right. You've got a salesperson or founder needs to keep track of customers. That works with the phone or the phone app that comes yeah. with your phone or the spreadsheet right. that you built when you got started. Okay. That's right. Then, But then as your num now you start to get some more leads and customers and you need to communicate with them you just can't do it one off and so things start slipping through the cracks your your okay. your customer management system is breaking down and the the G suite of tools and your phone no longer are sufficient yep. you, you you need something else and so that's an example of where you have to start being more efficient in your communications you have to be become more efficient in your tracking because if you don't, you just can't keep up with it. And and this is but what at happens twenty to million. So solopreneurs have that problem, and then they have to start yes. hiring people to do more because they can't do it. They get better software. But once you have twenty million in sales, if each salesperson can't handle the leads that come through, can't you just say, "Let's hire more salespeople, and we'll continue with our system"? Can't you say? Yeah. So then, where does it break down? You, you can do that, but then what happens is you get to a certain point where now there's more process that needs to be followed when you have that many people. There are checks and balances that need to be done. Accounting has to check on this. And, and, and so just like that solopreneur who now has more things they have to do manually because there are more customers, the same things hap happens when you have more employees. There, there's more manual process that needs to be done. You've got to check with accounting on this. You've got to go take care of, you know, connect with marketing on that. You've got to go work with your customer success team on that. And so your your systems that you had that helped you get to a certain point start to become too inefficient and too manual, okay. and they break down just like it happened when you were a solopreneur. It's because of the it's the math of relationships. So if you think of um, an, em an employee to a customer and prospect, the way I described, the same thing happens when you have employee to employee. And the math isn't you just added one, it becomes multiplication. Now you've multiplied. So each time you add a person, there's a little bit of overhead that is, is created for each other person in the company that gets added. And the company can't scale up in the same level of profitability. So when you say, well, let's just add another person. 
Well, that person you're adding is slightly less efficient and slightly less profitable because there are more people if you're using the same systems. And so you have to scale up and it happens very, very predictably as you go through certain stages. I've talked about this many times and I've, I've lived through those stages and sometimes no matter how predictable it is, you get stuck because you're having to make changes to your, syst your, your systems. Sometimes you have to make changes to your people because you have people who work really well in a smaller business, but they don't work as well collaboratively, cross-functionally, communicatively. There's a different set of skills that are sometimes needed. So sometimes you have to make system changes. Sometimes you have to make people changes. Sometimes you have to make process changes to make it more efficient. And that's what happens. You, it's, you can't just throw more bodies at it. It becomes, you know, for that's kind of a, a, a cursed way to say it, but, but you can't just throw more people at it because you're, you're becoming less efficient and the people that you're throwing at it are less, less efficient, less profitable, and the business right. starts to lose money because you're adding inefficient resources. And so that happened to you. What did you do at that point when it, you know what, let me take a moment and talk about my first sponsor. And then I'd like to hear how did, how did you respond to it at first? And then how did yeah. it evolve? But I should yeah. tell you, my first sponsor is a company called Masterworks. Are you familiar with them, Clay? It's totally fine. If you're not, I'd love to introduce you to them if, if you don't you know. know them. I'm not. Okay. So here's what they realized. If you look around, you see a lot of wealthy people buy art. And the reason is that art withstands the test of time, right? If you think back, software doesn't. If you think of the first Windows operating system, it might have been great, or Windows 3.0 might have been the big one. 95 was revolutionary. They're all gone, right? Companies right. that were on uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average when it started, many of them disappeared. Kodak is definitely not the company that it was a long time ago. But if you think about right. Artists, Van Gogh, Picasso, and others, they still hold up. They're even more valuable today than they were before, which is why wealthy people do it. The problem is that yeah. I and people in my audience, and who knows, maybe you actually could buy multiple pieces of art, but most of us can't. And so Masterworks said, you know what? How do we securitize this to allow more people to do it? And instead of buying one, maybe they diversify and mo buy multiple pieces of art. And the reason they did this is because if you look at it, it's not just an emotional thing. Art outpaced the S&P 500 contemporary art prices uh, for total return from 1995 to 2020 by 164%. During inflation, contemporary art has price appreciation of 23% on average whenever inflation is 3% or above. So, uh, so there's reasons for it. What they did was they said, we're going to hire people. They're going to buy works of art. We're going to securitize it. And then we're going to sell shares of it. And that's what Masterworks is about. I urge anyone who's listening to me who's considering investing in this to, first of all, not just go and jump in, but to have a conversation with Masterworks. If you go to masterworks.art slash Mixergy, they will schedule a call for you with someone on their team. You don't even have to buy. You don't have to invest. You just have a conversation with them. See if it's a good fit. If it is, they'll tell you what to do next. If it's not, they'll say goodbye. And um, I should say, since this is an investment, that you should see important regulation D disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. But when you're ready to start, if you're curious, go to masterworks.art slash Mixergy. Masterworks.art slash Mixergy. That's right. cool. That, that's really cool. Isn't it amazing? What they're doing. Yeah. We should have thought awesome. of that. Um, Real estate and art, always appreciate. And most people can't buy shares of that art. So right. That's, that's really cool. I've asked the founder to come on here and do an interview. He's not ready to talk about how he built the company. He just wants to talk about art. And I said, well, that's not really, <laughs> that's not really what my focus is. Um, 
So then what did, what's the first thing that you did? You're running Infusionsoft. You're starting to hit, have all these things break down. What did you do to, to try to fix it? Yeah, you know, ironically, I remember one of the first problems was we, we had to get a new phone system. This was years ago, and now there's so many better solutions. But I remember just how expensive it was. It was like, oh, my gosh, just unreal. Um, I remember that was one of the first things that that we, you know, we hit. Obviously, um, facilities is another thing that people bump into, and mm -hmm. it's very obvious when you're like, oh, well, we've got to. We now have more people. So remember I described each time you add more people, you have a little bit more overhead. Well, yeah, now you've got to have more space. And what you used to be able to spend a thousand bucks a month on for your space, now you've got to get something that's five thousand bucks a month. And so you have, you know, everything the costs start to go up as you add people. And the same thing happens with phone system. And I remember very, very clearly when we hit that with our CRM system. We had always used Infusionsoft. Mm -hmm. Our product is for businesses that grow to um, from one to 100 employees. We were well past that. We were about 150 and we were feeling the pain of it. And we had a choice. We could either change our strategic focus as a company and begin to serve bigger businesses so that we could use our software or we could stay true to our, uh, our, our core of helping small businesses grow and recognize that we needed to use something different. That was a really hard, painful decision that took about a year for me to finally come around to because I, I didn't want to do it, but I started to see the challenges of what was happening. Wait, Clay, you're I saying you, you outgrew your own software, just like you outgrow the That's office right. space that you have. You outgrew your own software, and you had to swallow hard and then say, okay, we are not going to be using Infusionsoft to manage our customer database anymore, and we're switching to Salesforce. Exactly. Wow. That was a painful, hard decision, but that's that's exactly what we had to do. And, you know, I, I recognized eventually that software companies who do something for small businesses or medium-sized businesses and they become big, they, they have to use something else. Um, you know, Intuit's not running their finance and accounting on QuickBooks. And, and you know, I, I got to the point where I just had to swallow hard and say, okay, we need to do that. But it was painful. And I will tell you that most of our customers uh, who are spared from having to go to a much more expensive, much more uh, complex system. I, I, I've had customers who went to Salesforce and came back and said, people who call this Confusionsoft have no idea. <laughs> and I said, yes, I know, I understand. It's, it's a perspective. And if you haven't if you haven't uh, the need for it, then it's going to look really confusing. But when you go to a much larger system, you realize, oh, my gosh, that's tough. And mm -hmm. you now are in the place of calling Salesforce confusion soft. So, so um, we, we experienced some of that same thing. And we, you know, we we uh, bit the bullet and had to spend. It's just very expensive, too. That's the other thing is you spend so much more money. You have to hire people for it, a team of people to run it. You know, it's just a, there's a lot to it. So. What, anyway, else did, that was what did you do that wasn't it. working as far as transition? When you had to transition, what failed? What broke as you were trying to fix it? Oh, gosh. Um, so much of the automation that we did. You know, there's just um, Keep is an amazing automation platform. Um, people sometimes don't realize or they take it for granted. They don't they or maybe they're just not using all the capabilities of it. But but we couldn't automate in the same ways um, and we couldn't do it quickly. And, you know, it's, it's a, 
are, you know, keep whether you're using the Max edition that you have or, you know, whatever edition you're using. You have, you have automation capabilities that you can do very quickly, designed for small businesses to automate, to, to automate the follow-up. And, and that's just, it was just much, much harder. We had to get other tools to plug into it uh, that were very expensive. And um, so it's, you know, it's just, it's just the, the challenge of software. And I hear, I hear my customers say, a lot of a lot of the similar things, but without a, a, an extra zero or two added at the end. So <laughs> that that makes it extra painful. Okay. What about for growth, for finding new customers? I love how in your book you say people who say that word of mouth is how they're going to get new customers are basically saying we have no way to get new customers. <laughs> <laughs> What did, yeah. what happens yeah. to what did you do to allow yourselves to grow beyond where you were? What new marketing channels did you open up? What new techniques worked? We always we always had a marketing mindset from the very early days, mm -hmm. um, and we were willing to invest and make mistakes, uh, even in those very early days where we were taking home two or three thousand dollars a month. We were investing five thousand dollars a month on pay per click advertising. Um, you know, the early precursors to Google AdWords and Facebook ads. And so we just always had that mindset of investing in marketing. And we knew we were going to, some would get wasted, but we would learn. Um, and that, that wasn't a waste. And so uh, always looking for new ways to attract um, prospects, but recognizing that the game is, to, is not to attract a customer, it's to attract someone that you can have the conversation with and begin to open up the dialogue and automate follow-up, right? That's that's the name of the game. If you if you start to um, so then are you saying you just bought more ads? No, we 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 just educated more, taught more. So our our scaling from uh, ten to I would say fifty was very much about teaching. Teaching what? Teaching all about follow-up. Oh, teaching businesses how they could have better follow-ups. Because if they understand yep. the significance of follow-up, then they're more likely to say, we want software to help us do this right. And then they see that Infusionsoft at the time, now Keep, is the software that will help them do it. You got it. And when you say did do more, how did you do it? Was it through affiliate relationships? Was it through buying ads that lead to seminars or webinars or what? Um, affiliates were really critical for us growing from one to 10 million. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, once you've got a product that's working and you've got you've got um, a, a business that gets to the seven figures, which, by the way, only only about three percent of businesses out there are over a million. So that's a that's rare that. company. But once you get to that point, affiliates and partnerships are critical. And, and for us, that was key to grow from one to ten. And, and affiliates are people from, who get paid whenever they bring business to you. Every time you get a new customer, right. they get a share of the revenue from that customer. Okay. And so that yep. allowed you to go from yep. one to 10 because they are out there with their creative ideas for how to get new customers. You're learning from them. They're sharing what's working for each other. Got it. And you're building your marketing often into their marketing because you become like part of the things that they offer in their uh, sales sequence. That's right. And it's not that that ever goes away. It was just that that was the main growth engine for us during that period of time. And then um, from 10 to 50, the most important thing was teaching, just just educating. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the things. And, it, 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 and it's not that you don't need to educate when you're smaller. It's just that we recognize that was 
the best way for us to to help customers and just serve them and and if they bought our software great if they didn't they knew that we we had their best interest at heart in helping them grow and we've you know we we just pioneered that space of automated follow up and taught like crazy and um, that that was a very fun run. I loved that period of time in the business. Was that all advertising to landing pages, to webinars, and then follow up sequences, and so on? Some, yeah, some advertising, some partners partners work, you know, affiliate stuff. Um, some just, you know, just bl- um, blogging and posting and just sharing information in every way we could, speaking, you name it, just just getting out and teaching. Okay, and then to go from fifty to a hundred, what was it? Yeah, that's where um, product and product marketing started to become even more important, and really getting customers in and using and and so that you know that that starts to the game starts to shift there in software companies when you get to that that scale, um, and I'd say even today the product marketing becomes critical much earlier on. But just for us in our evolution, kind of the, the times, at, you know, when we were going through that stage, that was really critical. What do you mean by product and product marketing? Um, helping people understand how the product delivers the benefits that they want. Ah, uh, Okay. What about free? I've noticed that you've never gone to free the way, say, MailChimp has led with free. Why not? Yeah. Um, marketing automation and sales automation is something that a lot of times people have challenges with that they don't understand until they've been running their business for a bit. And so we've we've toyed with free on a number of different occasions. But what happens is most of those customers, they don't know what they don't know. And they the the work to try to help them understand it is better left to the market and to the real world. And then once they realize what they need and what they're missing, um, they appreciate automation and they appreciate that what they need to do to make it successful. So we've always been a premium product for serious entrepreneurs. And that is the way we position. That's the way that we stay focused. And when we get off of that, we don't serve our customers best. We serve our customers best when we stay focused on those customers who are serious about growing. They're serious about about um, following up and improving their business, and they need automation. Versus early stage businesses that are just getting started, they might want automation, but they don't need it the same way. And by the way, that three year period of time, I that where I talked about kind of those dark days, I saw that even more clearly. And so we have a light version of our product, but it still is a premium product for people who are serious about automating. You considered buying one of the smaller competitors, the the kind of software that your customers would use before they're ready to sign up for Keep? Yeah, we did. We considered that in the past. We haven't for some time. I I, I think it's an it's a it's a nice idea. It's hard to put into practice. Um, it's hard to actually implement it and so we we bought a social media company many years ago with that notion. Um, it's just really tough to do, and and so we're we're staying focused on our core and serving the customers that want to automate their business, automate their follow up. 
What do you mean? What was the social media company that you bought and what was the trouble with it? I didn't realize that. Uh, it's called, it was called Grow Social. It was many years ago. And um, I'll just say it's really hard to acquire a company and integrate it. <laughs> what happened? Can you can you give us a few details? It didn't work <laughs> um, because the, the product didn't work very. The product didn't work very well to help customers grow, um, and it was too different than what our customers were doing. So you have to, if you acquire a company and you integrate it. There has to be a good strategic fit. There's got to be a good cultural fit. And the the people, you know, it was a small team. They're good people, but it just, it didn't fit into our product effectively. So it it didn't, it didn't work out. I see the press release. This is from uh, January 2013 that you acquired them, right? Yeah, it's about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. What about on the other side? I've seen that um, lead pages acquire Drip. I see that um, I see that that there's that there's a synergy between landing pages and email. Have you considered mm-hmm. buying one of the landing page creators and making that the onboarding process? Um, we we did we we did consider that. Um, we you know ultimately we decided to just use our product and um, so we we chose not to do that. Okay seems like there's something in there. So it seems like just purchasing is not culturally a good fit for you. Well, yeah, it's just what, what's in there is acquisitions are a really nice idea. Mm-hmm. Doing them and making them work is very expensive. It's much more challenging. And so particularly in the world of technology, when people are trying to create something to get sold, eh, you're going to buy a, a bunch of problems. I'd rather just have my own problems and work those problems. All right, I'll talk about my second sponsor, and then I'd like to come back and talk to you about some of the 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 mind work that you talked about in your book about how sure. you have to start there, or emotional capital, I think is what you call it. Second sponsor is Lemon.io. What they do, Clate, is they're a Ukraine a Ukraine based company that realized, you know what, there are a lot of developers in Ukraine. A lot of the founders' friends asked him for introductions, and he said, "Sure, I'll make introductions." And then he said, "I'll turn it into a business," and that's what he grew. And he bought some ads for me before this whole Russian thing happened, and they did well. And then I said, okay, there's no way he can buy any more ads now. And so I just kept running some ads for him for free. And when we chatted, he goes, you don't need to give me free ads. I go, but I'm sure you're suffering. He goes, we are, but not financially. We're actually doing better this year than we were last year. I said, how? He said, I've just been talking a lot. We've expanded beyond Ukraine. Now there are developers in other countries that still are less expensive than the U.S., considerably less expensive, still great fit. And the fact that many of us are still talking about him and that he's out there talking and letting people know that he's growing has enabled him to continue to grow his business. I don't know if he's ready to share his revenue numbers, but he's definitely grown this year. He's still committed to donating his money to supporting his people. So I guess it's not a donation to keep paying his people despite what's going on. He's not looking to make a profit right now. And um, I'm committed to continuing to talk about him, especially now that he's paying for it. And so I should say, anyone who's listening to me, if you like Lemon.io before, Lemon is even better now. They continue to grow beyond Ukraine. They still have come, they still have great developers. They still will match you with them. So if you have a side project that you haven't had a chance to to get into, hire a developer from Lemon. Put that developer on the project. They will give you a miraculous 
match guarantee within 24 hours. If you're not happy, they will make it right by finding you a, a different developer. And frankly, if you talk to them and you realize it's not a good fit at all, you don't have to hire them. You don't have to hire from them. But let Lemon amaze you with their great developers, low prices, quick matching. And if you want an even lower price than they offer everyone else, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. There it is again, lemon.io slash Mixergy. Find a great developer. I, am, I, I love that. I, I can't tell you how many times I have entrepreneurs ask me about, you know, getting a developer and, and I, you know, I, I turn them on in the past, I've turned them on to some of the, you know, some of the, the sites that have a bunch mm -hmm. of different work fulfillment, you know, I know uh, what you're talking solutions. about, like the Upworks but, of the world, the Fivers of the world, exactly. et cetera, that they do a lot of, right. 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 But I like, I like hearing one that's very focused and that has a, a pool of, of developers so i will i will refer people to lemon.io right with the matching service um i'm actually going to hit the mark a clip i'm going to show i'm going to share that with the founder alex loves hearing stuff like that so how about the headspace like what do you need to do to get your emotional capital to the place where you can run a company this big not get tired keep on innovating keep on caring yeah well i'm really i'm really glad you're asking me about this because it's one thing to write the book when you're, uh, you know, we wrote the book 10 years ago, we're much smaller, the business was in a different place. Um, and I'd learned a ton at that time. But now having learned over the last 10 years since writing the book, and especially during, you know, those those tough years, I had to practice that I had to practice what I preach. And I my wife would remind me frequently. <laughs> because it was it was tough, and and this is the thing that you and I both know. Most pe most entrepreneurs realize this, but some some don't. There's never an arrival point where suddenly things are easy. There are definitely times in entrepreneurship where things are less challenging, but the nature of entrepreneurship is there are always new challenges, and sometimes there are business threatening challenges that come back. It's not like you just get to a point. You know, you, you if you've heard. The FedEx founder and CEO, he's talked about times where the business was on the brink of bankruptcy or the brink of closure. Certainly, if you look at some of the challenges that major companies have been through during COVID, you don't get to this place where suddenly, oh, everything's easy and amazing. That's just not the way it is. The market changes, um, the economy changes, consumer interests change, technology change, everything changes. And so that's part of what's so dang fun about being an entrepreneur. But it also is what is what makes it absolutely necessary that we as entrepreneurs manage what's going on in our minds. And so what's how going do you, on how in do our you do that? emotions. So I talk about this quite a bit in the book and I've I've lived it. I've lived it in a bunch of different phases of this business. Um, You've, you've, you'd first of all recognize a fundamental truth. And, and that some people will say this, or that some people will say, oh, I've heard this before. I have studied this for decades. And it is, it is absolutely true that our thoughts become our words, and our words then form our beliefs. And beliefs are not just thoughts. Beliefs have emotion wrapped around them in a way that has us holding on to something and then our actions come out of our beliefs. 
And then the, the actions are what determine our outcomes, our goals, our achievements, etc. But you have to understand that how true that is. If you just hear it as a nice platitude, thoughts become words, become beliefs, becomes act, become actions, become our habits, our outcomes and habits. I, my dad told me that when I was a teenager and I rolled my eyes and was like, whatever. And, and then when I got into the business, I recognized, and my dad was a big positive, positive mental attitude guy. He was a teacher mm-hmm. who in the summertime would teach in order to, as a supp- to supplement his teacher's income, he would teach various success courses. And so he's big into positive mental attitude. And as a teenager, you know, I was like, whatever, dad, you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to listen to it. But when I became, and then I went to eight years of college and I thought I was so smart. And then I started into entrepreneurship and I got my butt kicked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is really hard. All the things I learned in school don't seem to apply. And when I was really going through tough challenges in the early stages of this business, I began to remember the things my dad talked about with positive mental attitude. And I remember in particular him telling me to this book called um, The Power of Positive Thinking, which is one of my all-time favorites. And I, I, started the, I started the very intentional work on my mind and, and controlling my thoughts and managing my words that can then turn into emotional beliefs that that then as i've come to recognize absolutely drive our behaviors human beings are very rational we don't take behaviors unless we believe that the behavior is worth it to take and so this all happens subconsciously but if we have a if we have a deep-seated belief that's born out of thoughts we have that we entertain over time and then we rehearse those thoughts through our words and talk to them in our minds to ourselves, and even worse, when we begin to talk to them to others. If those thoughts are toxic thoughts, we will have negative beliefs that we, that we have a bunch of emotion around, and our behaviors will not lead us to the goals that we think that we are going to achieve. It'll never happen. It only happens if we reverse that and we change our thoughts, and we are the thinker of our thoughts. Anybody who tells you otherwise is full of crap. Thoughts do enter our minds, but we decide what stays there and how we think about them. And then we accentuate those thoughts with words. And so if we begin to speak, you, I, I can listen to a, a, a couple. I can listen to an entrepreneur. I can listen to an employee. And I can tell what's going to happen in their lives by what they're saying. And you can too. Most of us just don't stop and How think do you about control it. your thoughts? thoughts I've, I wrote down that that's one of the phrases that you used I get that there are that there are a lot of thoughts and that what we think about and then I like your next step is what we talk about then becomes who we are but how do you control your thoughts how do you personally Clay do it yeah so you notice when a thought comes into your mind notice is the key word notice you that notice. it's coming in okay you notice that a thought comes in that may not be a powerful thought and we okay. all have them thousands of times a day. But you notice it and you say, okay, I see that. And you call it out. You understand what that is. And you don't allow it to just stay in your mind. If that's not a useful thought, as my coach says, if it's not useful to you, then you turn it around. You, you change it. You, you, you reshape that thought. A lot of times, here's a simple example. Um, I walk past my wife and she looks at what I'm wearing and kind of raises an eyebrow. Very easy for me to be like, I see always criticizing what I wear. Right. And as soon as I have that thought 
And especially if I start to give words to it, that's not going to be a positive experience for me and my wife. And so when I have that thought, I have a choice. I can either say, try to just push it aside. I can say, um, why'd you look at me that way? Or I can say, just give her the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, she probably was wondering, you know, why I was wearing red again two days in a row. No big deal. But I tell myself that so it it, it you actually have to dissipates. actively tell yourself. So she comes in, and this happens with my wife. Before we go see friends, I think she gets nervous sometimes. And so she might yeah. say, I don't think that shirt looks good on you. You shouldn't wear it. I go, well, it's too late. We're about to go in and see them. And in my head, I think she's being critical. <laughs> what you're saying is, <laughs> I like the, the smile of recognition. You're saying, don't just say, I shouldn't be thinking that. Replace the thought or with what? With yes. she cares about yes. what I look like. Something so it's not yes. enough to say stop thinking that it's not useful. I have to find a way and to replace the thought. Yes. Okay, can, and then and that's exactly it. If you just try to push the thought out of your mind, that can work a certain number of times, but eventually you've got no more place to store those things. They're actually there. Okay. So you have to change the thought. And the thought the the the, the most successful change is to do a complete 180 and say something like, oh, she loves what I'm wearing. Well, most of the time, our rational minds won't let us do a complete 180. So you just have to modify it a little bit. And if you just modify it slightly to yeah. say, oh, she cares about what I'm wearing, or, oh, um, it might be that she just thinks I'm wearing red, you know, red two days in a row, or, oh, I, I, I saw she raised her eyebrow, but she's probably just having a hard time today, or, there's a hundred ways, a thousand ways you can change a thought. And so you just get good at changing the thought a little bit so it's not a cankering thought. And that's the mad, that's the trick. Okay, I'm sorry to that's interrupt because I want to take this to the next step. Like, So imagine that I, I have a thought. I can't sell to those customers. They're too big. They're outside of my customer base or the people that I'm used to, right? So first, recognize it instead of pretending that you don't have those limiting beliefs. I get that. Yes. Second, change it say they're not they're they could be our customers or they may not recognize what smaller businesses like us have to offer right so you, you recognize it in the moment change it in the moment do you then do something clate that allows you to reinforce it afterwards or do you just change it in the moment and that's it no you you absolutely you you turn it into a positive thing and it can in the example of my wife's case it can turn into a calm conversation that gets to the heart of what we were talking about and, and both of us feel great afterwards. But if I react to it and I say, why are you always criticizing what I wear? Well, we're going to have a crappy night. You know, that's, that's not going to go well. So, so conversation, so you, you what if it, it's yeah, not, what if it's a, what, what if it's a thought that relates more directly to business that you've had on your own, you replace it as soon as it happens, right? With one that's more useful. Do you have any yeah. exercise, Clay, that you go through to reinforce it? Or do you just say, I've replaced it, we can move on? Depends on what it is. If it's if it's something that needs to be built on positively, yes. then then I reinforce it. I, I dig in deeper. I work on building that. If it's something that just needs to be put to rest so that it doesn't cause problems, then you know, it's, it's okay. You'll, you'll notice by your emotional state after you go through it. If you, and this is, this, my, my coach and I, we call this a turnaround. Um, and the, and the, for, the specific formula is notice the thought, 
Is it useful? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Is it true? Are you sure it's true? Can you change it slightly so that it becomes useful? That's it. Okay. It's a turn. It's a thought turnaround. And and when you get good at it, you do it very very quickly. And I'm not I'm not perfect at it. I do stuff all the time where I'm like, oh, I got. I got activated over that thing. I got worked up when I didn't need yeah. to. I could have managed that thought in a different way. But by the way, this is all on the negative side. The positive side is what you're getting at where you build it. You build it and you grow it and you reinforce it. And guess how you do that? Yeah, With how? your words. That's how you do it. You speak it over and over and you speak it to different things. So after this conversation, I'm going to talk to a bunch of people in the company about a, a a conversation I had with a longtime customer and the great discussion we had about the confusion he had about the brand change and about, and I'm going to talk about it in positive ways. And I'm going to share all the great things about that. And it's going to take on a life of its own ah, because so I'm going to speak it's not changing positively. it in your own head. It's talking it through with other people. Saying it out loud is what allows you to really change the thought and allows it to then be more useful. So if you, for example, said, I can't sell to enterprise at one point, I can only sell to SMBs like me, you would, first of all, recognize it, then change it, and then you start to talk about it to your team and say, here's why I think we could sell to enterprise. Talk to enterprise clients and say, here's why I think we could sell to you. Let's have a conversation so we can understand. So it's, am I understanding it right, right. Clay? Okay. Yes. Let's, right. So let's, put, let's put that business thought through the turnaround formula. We can't okay. sell to enterprise. Right. Okay. Let me notice that first. I notice, I'm, I'm seeing that, that. Um, is that a useful thought for us? It, it, it might be that we really choose, we don't want to sell to enterprises. And so it'd be useful to say, right. you know what we've architected, like this is, this is keep, I'm going to, there's a positive, like, I don't want to sell to large for, you know, fortune 500 com- companies. So if I had the thought we can't sell to fortune 500 companies, that would be a useful thought for keep because that's not what we want to do. Now, for you, you might say, that's not useful. I really want to get a Fortune 500 account. Right. That's so close. then you'd say, is it useful? And you'd say, no, it's not useful for me to have that thought because that's not what I want. So um, is it true? Okay. Yeah, it's true. And by the way, our mind almost always screams back, yes, it's true. That's why I thought it, you idiot. It's, you know, that's usually what our, our mind says. And, and you have to say, no, 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 wait, is it really true? Is it really true that we can't sell to Fortune 500? Um, and then your mind backs off a little bit and says, well, I, I, and I think so. We don't have any Fortune 500 content, accounts. Um, I think so because it takes a six-month sales cycle in order to do it, and I can't put the time into that. I think so. And so then you start to get a little more rational, and then you say, okay, um, if... If, if I really believe that's true, but it's not useful, is there something I could change in that thought to make it a little less true? I'm not going to just turn it around immediately as a 180 degree and say, oh, I can sell to Fortune 500s. Hallelujah. Now we're going to hit all of our goals. No. You say, okay, well, what would need to happen for us to do that? Or you'd say, you know what? Today we're not great at it, but by this time, I think we could be there. Or you might say... Um, I don't have the skill to do that, but I know that if we got this person to come work with us, we could, you know, you, you just start loosening up the rigid held belief that you have, or the, this rigid thought that's limiting, and you begin to put modification around it, loosen it up, and get it to a place where you can turn it. 
And that's the work of thought. I mean, that's doing the work on our thoughts. And it's what it's what ultimately what I've just described is what either causes entrepreneurs to succeed or fail, believe it or not. That is it. It is exactly what I just described, repeated over and over and over and over. All right. I'm excited to hear that you're still doing this work. I'm curious about um, who your coach is. Is there someone who's online that we can find out about? Uh, he's amazing. And uh, yes, his name's Steve Hardison. I've worked with him for 12 years. Um, he He is known as the ultimate coach. And he is the master of what I just described. He is, he, he, he's incredible. He's not for everybody uh, because he's very expensive, um, but he's worth it for the people who are playing uh, a very high stakes game and don't want to lose themselves in the process, which is why I went to him initially. And 12 years later, I've worked on myself in all kinds of ways that I could never begin to express the grat- sufficient gratitude for. I see it right now. It's so the, Hardison, ultimate coach. the ultimate coach.com. Yeah. And he's not, he's, he's a very interesting guy at any given time. He has eight clients and only eight clients, two per day, Monday through Thursday. Um, you, I spend, you spend two hours with him per week. Um, it is an intense experience for a year. You commit to a full year, you prepay for a full year. Uh, he does business like nobody I've ever known. He's not trying to get more customers. He's not trying to, um, for years, he would not, he would not allow a book to be written, but gratefully just, uh, last year, someone insisted that it be done about three years ago and it got published last year. And now you can go, there's a, there's a Facebook group. If you're interested on, if you're interested in really digging into what I just described and becoming your best self from the inside out, um, it's it's a pretty cool Facebook group that that's out there and and uh, you know he 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 jumps in there all the time and comments but he's wow. not he's not a guy that uh, is easy to just go sign up and start working with. I'll he didn't even way. write the book. I think is it is no. Amy Hardison his wife? Amy's his wife and and yeah, she wrote um, it. Alan Alan wrote Alan initially was the one that convinced him to write it. He told me over and over he's he's coached he he is coached to some of the best coaches out there. And um, forever, you, people have been saying, you should write a book. He said, I promise you, I will never write a book. And, they, and, and then a few years ago, people started saying, let me write your book. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. He finally relented for a bunch of different reasons. And and Alan, Alan did all the research and pulled everything together. But then Amy, and Amy was to be the editor, but she ended up being the actual co-author with Alan on it. I never heard of him before. I'm glad I asked that question. All right. He's amazing. So- if anyone wants to follow up, first of all, they can go and get The Ultimate Coach. That's the name of the book. And then your book, which is called Conquer the Chaos. I've got it here in Kindle. I had all these notes. I spent time. One of the things that I appreciate about your book was you said, if I have to read a book, I want to do it in one sitting. And I, I'm paraphrasing. I always felt like True. that's cheating. You can't possibly get enough. And truthfully, Clay, that is the way that I get the most out of books. I sat down right here in the living room. And I just read your book in an hour and a half because I speed read. I do it a different way than you describe in your book. You talk about your speed reading process. Um, But that's the way that I get the most out of it. And then after all that work, I got nothing that I used in this interview. Maybe like two or three percent of this conversation was that. But I'm I'm okay with it. I, I, I told myself a few years ago, I'm never reading a book just so that I could be prepared for an interview. I'm going to read the book because I like it and want to read it and I want to know the topic. And if not, doesn't matter even if the guest is there we're going to talk about something else and so that's why i read the book 
Well, thanks for reading it. Um, you know, that we talked about, I, I broke it into the um, mindset strategies and system strategies. We, we talked a little bit here about the mindset, but to me, it's, it's critical for entrepreneurs. If you don't get the mindset right, you'll take yourself out eventually. So your question of how do you, how do you do it? You know, how do you stay on top of it through the ups and downs, thick and thin, the relationship challenges, the health challenges, the world changes, all that stuff. It is the mindset strategies I talk about in there. And then the system strategies, it's organizing, following up, automating, which obviously is, you know, right that right down Main Street of what we do at Keep. Yeah. Many of those could have been a topic on its own. And I thought that's where I would end up with in the practical part of the conversation. But instead, it was mindset. I'm glad it was. <laughs> All right. The website is keepkeap.com. I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you're hiring developers, go check out lemon.io slash Mixergy. And the second, if you're curious about what it's like to invest in art, along with other people, go to masterworks.art slash Mixergy. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to read a disclaimer. I'm going to do it anyway. It's mas- Go check out important regulation aid disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. Clayton, stick with me for a moment, but everyone else, thank you. Bye, everyone.